Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. One morning towards the beginning of the whole kind of pandemic, at least from our perspective in, in Europe, the house shook. I was woken up by an earthquake. And this was in the middle of the pandemic. I registered, I'm conscious of the fact that for a split second, when my house was shaking and I knew it was a pandemic, just for a split second, I can remember thinking, oh, Armageddon. Today marks just a few days before the six-month anniversary of the On The Edge with Andrew Gold podcast. And it's a special one for several reasons. First and foremost, I've managed a real coup in getting Lloyd Evans, who is pretty much the world's preeminent ex-Jehovah's Witness and authority on the religion, its attractions, and its snares. He tells some of the downright craziest and most unbelievable stories of his childhood and his time in the religion. So that Jehovah's Witnesses know, I'm not just picking on them, as I've already done episodes on an ex-Muslim whose family are trying to kill her, an ex-Hasidic Jew who believes the community raped her, and the son of the founder of the Westboro Baptist Church. You'll find those, along with loads of other crazy, interesting, controversial episodes in the backlog. This is also a special podcast because ex-Jehovah's Witness Lloyd convinced me, as you'll hear, of the merits of starting a Patreon page. And he's even started contributing himself, which is a really touching gesture from a fellow content maker. I'm lucky to have a really close, tight-knit group of listeners. Many of you have been there from right at the beginning and stuck with it, or binge listened to every episode. I hope you'll stay with me at the next stage in terms of making this profitable. And that means selling ads, which I'll begin introducing in the coming weeks. However, if you go to my brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash andrewgold, you can sign up to become an assistant producer of the podcast and get an ad-free version. There are many other benefits and tiers available on my page, allowing you to become a fully-fledged producer who I'll follow on social media, or a director with exclusive video access and the ability to ask the guests questions yourself. In the coming weeks, this free version will continue, but with the gradual introduction of a couple of ads. But my Patreon page gives you access to an ad-free version you can play on most podcast platforms. In addition to the perks you'll get, think of it as tipping me for the four and a half episodes and hours of content I make each month. You decide how much you pay. Thanks so much to those of you who have already contributed. One pound or dollar a month works out at 23 pence or cents per episode uh, or hour of content. And you'll be amazed at how far that goes when added together with my other tips. Of course, if I'm going to be making money from this, I also have to up my own game. I've been making an effort to ensure interviewees send me their audio files. So you're hearing this one. Lloyd's voice is absolutely gorgeous. And I'm going to start publishing the video versions of the podcast on YouTube with lots of flashy camera angles and high definition. Anyway, that was my announcement, and I don't want it to eat into any more Lloyd Evans ex Jehovah's Witness time. We're going to be talking about everything from the community's controversial views on blood transfusions to its purported inaction on child abuse. Lloyd talks eloquently about cognitive dissonance, the way our mind refuses to consider reasoning that runs counter to our ingrained idea of how the world works. 
Lloyd really is an authority on the subject, and if you want to know more, I encourage you to get hold of his acclaimed book, The Reluctant Apostate, and to visit his popular YouTube page with over 70,000 subscriptions, the John Cedars channel. Links in the description. And if you need convincing as to Lloyd's knowledge on all things Jehovah's Witness, I can tell you he's backed by a wall of scholarly tomes. Basically, it's just books, piles of books and shelves of books behind him. With the books, I think it's especially important for Jehovah's Witnesses who are tuning in because they're already terrified to be watching a big bad apostate but if they can at least see that i've got the material behind me and they can see i know what i'm talking about yeah have you read all of those books oh god no um (laughs) (laughs) i wonder if anyone has you keep seeing especially in covid times lockdown you see everybody's got these bookshelves behind them and i think how many has anyone read my, my oldest book is a 1902 edition of studies in the scriptures so we're talking decades and decades and decades of mostly nonsense so I, although i've not read them cover to cover i do need to consult them quite frequently if right. i'm um if i'm dealing with a particular subject it's helpful yep. to be able to go straight to i'll quite often have photographs from certain pages in the video to say look here's proof that they actually wrote this so i i think i'd i'd it would do 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 a number on me mentally if I were to actually read all this stuff cover to cover, but it's at least there for me to consult it whenever I need it. That's fascinating, though, because at first I was thinking when you said that, well, why not just go on Google or whatever? But I can totally understand. Yeah, if you need to prove yeah. something to a skeptic, a nice yeah. hard book does the job. God, how are you? What's going on? I'm record. I've been recording the whole time, by the way. So you, you're yeah. Not- <laughs> oh yeah. right, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm not bad, yeah. I'm always a little bit stressed, but uh, better to be busy. Yeah, your channel's doing well, isn't it? What's it, 70,000 subscribers? Yeah, it's. I feel as though it's... Look, you, you go through... With YouTube, you go through phases where you leap forward in numbers, and then you go through other phases where it's just, you know, trundling along, and that's basically where I am at the moment. It, it's growing at a predictable rate each month. No matter how much work I put into it or don't put into it, I could go on a holiday for a week and do very little and it's still going to grow at the same rate. So, Do you think people exaggerate how much social media and stuff makes a difference then? I think everything is basically in the hands of the YouTube gods and I think they have their algorithms set up to promote your content at a rate that they're happy with. Right. They're going to promote your content far more if it's very vanilla and doesn't offend anyone and consists of makeup tutorials or eating triangle shaped food or whatever, that stuff's always going to get pushed more than serious content. Mm. And I've sort of had to begrudgingly live with that, with the fact that I'm only going to get so many impressions and the impressions I get will dictate how many views I get. Are you able to earn a living just from the channel and everything? Oh yeah. Uh, Only because of Patreon. Oh, uh, I'd be messed up. I'd be, I'd be, I wouldn't be able to do this as a job if it was purely on 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 Google Ad Revenue. But Patreon has been a real game changer. That has basically allowed people who value what I'm doing beyond the you know the, the simple video by video thing. They they just see the broader picture and they see someone who's trying to make a difference in this particular niche. So, mm. yeah, Patreon's been a game changer. So do you offer extra stuff for that, or is it just sort of people decide they want to they pay for it? I, To begin with, I just set it up, 
and just, mm. you know, thought, well, anyone that wants to contribute can contribute. And then I thought, no, I want to, because I could see loads of people joining. And I thought, I want to give, I feel bad <laughs> them just giving me this money. I, I feel like I, I ought to say thank you in some way. And so what I've done is I've set up a number of different tiers. Yeah. Um, so even on tier one, which is like a dollar um, or a dollar plus VAT, um, people get something. They could they get like a, an exclusive monthly update video. They can right. join my Discord. I think the top tier is we do like two Zoom calls per month. Um, so it's it's kind of a very intimate thing where people where we get to chat and I get to know people uh, quite well. So yeah. Do you find many of your viewers are ex Jehovah's? No. Hmm. Uh, well, obviously many of them are. It's just that I have done polls in the past because. I'm I'm fascinated by that sort of thing. I want to know who's watching. Yeah. And whenever I've done polls in the past, it's been something like 50-50 ex-Jehovah's Witnesses or faded or current Jehovah's Witnesses, because believe it or not, current Jehovah's Witnesses do watch. Um, Half them and half people who've never been in the religion but just enjoy a good train wreck. Right. uh, Which I can kind of sympathize with because I'm kind of the same when it comes to Scientology or the Westboro Baptists, you know. Yeah. It's fascinating to see the way these organizations can so easily control people like robots. Um, So I think there are lots of people who enjoy that aspect of things. So, yeah, I'd say 50-50. Yeah, many of the listeners to this podcast, actually. I started off, I think you probably may, maybe saw because we follow each other on Twitter, but with the Westboro mm. Baptist Church and somebody um, ex-Muslim and ex-Hasidic Jew. Uh, mm. And people have messaged saying they want to go back to those things because I moved away a little bit and everyone, everyone wants to hear about that stuff. Do you, why do you think that is? Well, again, people are fascinated by the potential of lot, these large organizations to... Uh, to, to literally control people and that's that's what it all boils down to i mean we we like to think as human beings that we're beyond that and yeah. no one can control us and that we're masters of our own destiny and no one no one can just lead us along but it turns out that it's frighteningly easy yeah. to lead along not just a handful of people but potentially millions i mean depending on what your political persuasion is you could argue that that's happening or has happened in america sure um that you have similar situations in for example north korea where an entire country is one person's plaything yeah Um, yeah. so it's happening on a political level it also happens on a religious level and it's usually the exact same uh, mechanics that the exact same methods are being used they're tried and trusted they work all the time and It's been summarized as the bite model. If you can control people's behavior, if you can uh, control what information they have access to, if you can control people's thoughts, and if you can control their emotions, if you have some level of of control over all of those things, sooner or later you're going to control them. And Jehovah's Witnesses, people are able to completely bypass their basic humanity and have nothing to do with, say, their children who they've given birth to because their children have been disfellowshipped or even they're happy to or not happy necessarily, but they are willing to stand by and let their child die for want of a blood transfusion. That's how serious it gets. That's insane. That's just in Jehovah's Witnesses. We see exactly the same um, atrocities happening in other religions. I mean, you mentioned um, Islam clearly 
you know, not all Muslims are, are, are doing that sort of thing. But that shows the extreme, that's the end game when you can have, you know, journalists being beheaded and car bombs and that sort of thing. That That's the, the end game of all this, you know. Man. So I've got my first stupid question. Uh, I was thinking just now I should recall the, I could call the podcast stupid questions or something. Who who is Jehovah, and and who is a witness to Jehovah? Why are they called Jehovah's Witnesses? Jehovah is God, or or so Jehovah's Witnesses would say. Interestingly, the name Jehovah was thought was dreamt up in the 13th century by a Dominican monk named Raymundus Martini. Um, but this particular version of the divine name, I mean, nowadays scholars prefer Yahweh. Um, but because it made it into the King James Version, and because the King James Version was the Bible of choice of the early founders of the religion, uh, that came to be the name of of God as considered by Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Witnesses of Jehovah, well, that's based on a verse in Isaiah chapter four or five can't remember which you really know your stuff (laughs) (laughs) where it says something along the lines of uh you will be my witnesses says jehovah so okay um jehovah's witnesses consider themselves to be witnesses of his power and authority and sovereignty and they consider that when they do their public preaching work this is them testifying to his sovereignty I forget what the other question was. I can't remember either, but I started thinking about U2 when you said Yahweh. I mean, I think they all seem to be U2 songs. Are they some version of Jehovah's Witnesses? U2 actually um, came after Jehovah's Witnesses. (laughs) But they they do have an interest, don't they, Bono? Seem to. They they had like, um, I think they went through like a Baptist streak at some point in their careers. Mm. And they've kept that theme running in their songs. But yeah, Yahweh is... um, the preferred, and this is important because Jehovah's Witnesses place great stock in the fact that they are unique in using God's name as it should be used. And even they will admit in their literature that scholars prefer Yahweh, but then they resort to some bizarre reasoning of, oh, well, Jehovah is the one that most people use. Is it though? Is it? Did you see that so, that South Park? I presume you have the South Park episode, and it was in the future, and it was like the atheist atheist society of atheists versus the like slightly different named version of that. Naming is such a big part of everything. Like slight variations of names. I grew up in a, a Jewish family, and uh, I'm an atheist now as well. But, uh, but you know, I had to go and learn Hebrew and stuff like that on Sundays. Um, and I, until I was about probably 13, 14 or 15, I would only spell the name God with a dash instead of the O. Jewish people have to do that when they write English. Um, yes. The idea being that if, any were, if anyone were to destroy the piece of paper that you've written on, it would be destroying the name of God. So you have to write like a dash so you don't write his name. And it's like, it's such a strange thing because from a young age, I obviously knew, even when I was at eight or nine, I knew that is mental. That is totally, totally insane. But I was still doing it many years after, which is sort of the tradition aspect, I suppose. It's almost like a compulsion. What was your childhood like? And and when did you start to move away from it? I took it very, very seriously. It's interesting you're saying that you used to write God without an O. Um, I can remember at school doing a class assignment. We were asked to, um, you know, those ring binders, 
well, not those ring binders, you know, ring binders. Uh, our teacher asked us to fill a ring binder with a topic of our choice. And I thought, well, I'll do one on, on my religion, on Jehovah's Witnesses. How old were you? I would have been like 10, like 10 or 11. Um, and yeah, I, this was my this was my topic. And I forget, you know, what I was writing. Um, I just... <laughs> I just remember my teacher saying, Lloyd, why have you drawn all of these pictures of people with ovals for faces, but no faces? And I said, that's because I'm drawing Jehovah and the angels, and it's disrespectful to draw the face of Jehovah. And I forget what my reason was for the angels, but <laughs> so a similar thing happening there, because in, in the Revelation book at that time, we'd had a book released called Revelation, its grand climax at hand, because they believe, Jehovah's Witnesses believe Armageddon's going to come at any moment, and that it was still, it was the same towards the end of the 80s, early 90s. And uh, everywhere where there was a picture of God, it had the shining light and you couldn't see the facial features. So that was my version. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I, I was madly devoted to it. And why wouldn't you be? Because... I've been raised by two parents who took it very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, in my book, I tell the story of um, an Armageddon drill because I I walked up to my dad once and he had this panic plug. He had the phone receiver in his hand. Um, I'd heard the phone ring. Um, in those days with those phones, you could actually make them ring if you knew a certain trick. So right. I'd heard the phone ring. I saw my dad with a panic look on his face. And he said, um, the Great Tribulations started. Um, the police are coming for Jehovah's people. We need to escape to Macclesfield Forest. Go and get your things. Right. There are so many layers to that. There are so many <laughs> layers to that. The, the police have called. <laughs> Firstly, the no, point... no, no. The elders have called. The, the elders. police are coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was just like the cops down the down the station. Just they they're like on the inside and they know about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, said, it wouldn't be very effective policing, wouldn't it? We're coming to arrest you now. Okay. So um, and so he's made the so yeah. So firstly, it's like presumably he believes very strongly. So, sorry, in my way, I'm interrupting halfway through this story. I'll get back to, but I just want to get to. So he's faked a phone call. Yeah, uh, but he must believe as well. But I guess he wanted you to believe even more. And yeah. then Macclesfield Forest. Which was our nearest forest. It's got to be a forest. Okay, yeah, continue. Sorry, go on with so, the story. <laughs> so I ran upstairs, absolutely convinced, because the Great Tribulation is supposed to be just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Armageddon. So, yeah. you know, it made total sense in my young mind. Oh, right, okay, well, you know, we've been talking about this. So it makes sense that it's now happening. Yeah. So I was um, up in my room. I, I was going through a, a, an Enid Blyton phase, so I threw my pen knife in my rucksack and my binoculars and my torch. Um, I also threw in the Revelation Climax book because I thought, well, there's a handy field guide to what's now happening. Sure. Um, and then kind of ran downstairs expecting to be running outside into the street and get getting in the car. Um, and instead, there was just my dad and my mum and my sister all with smirks on their faces because I'd fallen for it. What? Um yeah, so it was all intentional. I think it was 50% a joke and 50% a serious test to demonstrate that we ought to be ready for Armageddon at any moment. Like, we got you, but 
you know, it could have been the real thing. Also, there's a serious test here, yeah. That sounds counterintuitive to me because that sounds a little bit like they, they, the next time you're not going to go as fast. And how does it make you feel in that moment? Well, I guess I, I'm, I must have laughed along at the, at the moment and felt very foolish, but yeah. it stayed with me. That's the whole point. And in a way, I feel almost um privileged in a in a bizarre way that out of all of the millions of jehovah's witnesses who will never come anywhere close to there being an armageddon yeah. because it's a lie at least i got to experience a little piece of it yeah in my head even though it was all all just a joke because at that particular that exact moment i was fully convinced it was armageddon you know wow it's it feels like it feels like they I don't know. It feels like if you thought Armageddon and all that stuff was real, it just seems very strange to joke about it. Were they often joking mm. about these kinds of things? No, no, which is why I went along with it. Uh, and also, at that age, you tend to be very trusting of your parents. How old was this? Ten as well. God, I would have been, yeah, nine or ten years old. And, um, mm. you know, that's how child indoctrination works, though, isn't it? You you know, it, and I think re most religion plays on child indoctrination and the fact that children will just believe what their parents say because why would their parents lie to them especially yeah. in life or death matters your parents have your best interests at heart they don't want to see you crushed by a fireball when armageddon comes why would they lie to you about all of this so mm. of course you're going to believe it in some cases when it gets to the teenage years and the rebellious streak kicks in Sometimes kids who don't take it so seriously can get distracted. They can start leading a double life. And one way or the other, they can drift out. In other cases, no, I'm going to keep taking it seriously because I still, even though I'm now a teenager and I have a rebellious side to me, I still don't want to die at Armageddon. Thank you. And so it sticks right through to adulthood for many. I feel like with a lot of religion, people don't really in their heart of hearts believe a lot of that stuff. I mean, on their deathbeds, very few are just very peacefully going, well, you know, I'm going up to heaven and all that. I mean, often they're, you know, because I think they, they know that's not going to happen. Well, this is where cognitive dissonance comes in. Yeah. Cognitive dissonance is fascinating because we actually need it to an extent. Um, I mean, if you think about it, we need to have some rejection, some internal uh battle when we encounter things that debunk th ideas that we've come to cherish and love because if we didn't have that reaction to cherished ideas we'd just be switching from one idea to the other all the time we'd immediately see something oh i've changed my <laughs> mind we'd be changing our mind all the time so it's almost a survival instinct i've had this explained to me by someone who came on my channel who's an expert in this Wow. It's almost a, su a survival instinct that we kick back against things that we are comfortable believing and that we feel certainty in. Um, and what, but what that does is it means that you can have in your brain simultaneously, this might be bollocks and um, this is absolutely the truth. And you can have those two things in your head at the same time. Wow. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I love that explanation. I really like that. That's because that obviously applies not just to Jehovah's Witnesses or to religion, but to everything, the way we all see mm. politics. I mean, any bad thing done in the world, most bad things have been done in, in a, you know, what's, the, what's that expression? The, the road to 
hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, everybody thinks mm. they're doing a nice thing and yeah, they must have, I mean, the Nazis must have known something wasn't right, but then just pushed on through. I mean, you think of an election and you think about this barrage of noise where both parties or both candidates will have their ads going out and, you know, stories for a, for a candidate or against a candidate or for a party or against a party. If we didn't have cognitive dissonance, we'd just be swinging constantly throughout the election between yeah. one and the other, depending on what article we happen to fall upon or whatever news item we happen to fall upon. We need some degree of resistance. Yeah. Uh, even if something makes total sense, there needs to be some kind of pushback against yeah. it. You know? can, make, can make things difficult with your loved ones sometimes or your partner. Yeah. <laughs> that's what arguments are, I suppose. People, <laughs> That's why you don't want to say, admit that you were wrong, because it's like, you know you were wrong, but I'm not sure. Man, <laughs> it's such, I love that. I love that. Tell me more about, um, so, so what it's like, what would be different for you growing up as a Jehovah's Witness? The only, all I knew about before speaking to you and I've, I've seen your stuff on YouTube, which is brilliant. And I've read White Teeth by Zadie Smith. Which, which was just one of my favorite books. Have you read that? Uh, no, that's the first time I've heard it. Oh man, you got it, you got it. White Teeth. Yeah, yeah, put that down there. Uh, White Teeth, Zadie Smith. And she, I think, because I think Zadie Smith, she's a British writer and she she was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and okay. And she, the protagonist, and there's also a Netflix series, I think it was BBC originally, called wow. White, White Teeth. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it's very much linked to, in that book, so my idea of it was very Jamaican because she's of Jamaican origin, I believe, or at least in the book, and it's all with Jamaican thing. But I guess that's not... Is, is that the case? Is there sort of Jamaican-ness in Jehovah's Witnesses? I mean, did you grow up with any of that, or is it, was that totally just from that book I've got that? Oh, the, well, the, it's a worldwide religion, uh, asterisk, not in the Middle East and not in large parts of Asia or North Africa, but uh, certainly throughout the Americas, there are Jehovah's Witnesses, including in the Caribbean, so yeah. How was your upbringing compared to somebody who who wouldn't know about this kind of thing? Odd. It was odd. Um, I mean, there's all the usual um, prohibitions. Jehovah's Witnesses can't celebrate Christmas, can't celebrate birthdays. And if you think about most childhoods, they're sort of defined by those things, you know, yeah. by Christmas together as a family or what you got on a certain birthday. Or I had none of that. Um, but I didn't feel as though I was going without because right. once you get used to it, it's just normal. That's your normal. So you, you, you see the kids at school who've got a new bike for their birthday and you're not like fiercely jealous of them necessarily because you, you think, well, you know, they celebrate birthdays, I don't. Um, you feel you're convinced, as I've mentioned, that Armageddon is coming and that when Armageddon comes all of your schoolmates are going to die because they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they're, they're just going to die any day because Armageddon's coming. Is there guilt there or is there, is there a bit of schadenfreude? I think that, again, it becomes your normal. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't necessarily feel bad. And also you don't think about it in too much detail mm. because whenever Witnesses will have a conversation, perhaps perhaps in a gathering they'll start talking about the paradise almost inevitably because the more you talk about it the more the whole thing unravels um there's been some delightfully detailed talks at the latest convention where the governing body members have gone into quite some detail about what's going to happen in the paradise and the fact that 
everyone who has ever died will be resurrected over the first thousand years, and that's a hundred billion. You think of how the planets, you know, um, squ- squirming under the weight of nearly eight billion. So a hundred billion apparently is going to be the future population of Earth. Anyway, they go into all of these details, and the more they go into detail, the more obvious it is that it doesn't make sense. So you'll have witnesses in a group talking about it. And at some point, a witness is going to say, yes, but we really shouldn't speculate, brothers, and they'll change the subject. So it sort of makes sense because you're not encouraged to think about it in too much detail. It's just there in the background at all times. How does that yeah, affect a child's mind at its most sort of uh, uh, malleable when it's you know, 10, 12 years old? How does it affect how you are today? I know you've sort of disavowed all of it, but do you find... Uh, any remnants, sort of vestiges of the Jehovah's way of thinking in your mind, and you go, no, 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 and you push it back. Yeah, well, this is the this is the really distressing thing about cults is that even when you have strongly repudiated all of your former beliefs, because they get so deeply entrenched in your psyche and they become basically part of you, yeah. they do still manifest themselves. So, for example. Um, there's this thing called the coronavirus pandemic <laughs> and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses have been jumping up and down about how this is proof that you know Armageddon is imminent. In fact, a governing right. body member was even saying that this shows that we're in the final part of the final part of the last days of the last days or however he worded it. Um, so one morning, I forget when it was, I think it was March or April, t- towards the beginning of the whole kind of pandemic at least from our perspective in in europe um the house shook i was woken up by an earthquake and this was in the middle of the pandemic so in Hmm. even if it was just for a split second i registered i'm conscious of the fact that for a split second when my house was shaking and i knew it was a pandemic just for a split second i can remember thinking oh armageddon and I am one of the most well-known, outspoken yeah. um, ex-Jehovah's Witness activists with so much experience of, of how this is all a big con. And yet I'm, I'm willing to admit that just for a split second, that thought was, was there. So if, if that's how it affected me, you can imagine how it's affecting or going to affect ex-witnesses <sighs> who've perhaps only recently woken up or I think there are also lots who were disfellowshipped at some point and haven't been in the religion for decades, but because they've never done the research to prove to themselves that it, it wasn't um, a legit thing, they go to their graves basically expecting that if Armageddon were to come, they would die. This is how pervasive the whole ideology is. What was it like? Take me through sort of when you broke to your parents i suppose to your family that this wasn't for you what happened next are you still in touch with them it was uh quite a long process i obviously describe it in my book the reluctance apostate um i didn't have to think about having that conversation with my mother because she died in 2001 Hmm. um but i i did still have my dad to speak to and he's an elder who takes it very seriously and to begin with, it was a case of, you know, look, I, I don't think it's true. That's it. I don't think the faithful slave 
are God's organization. And there was just stunned silence. And um, there were, he just said, well, I don't think I can help you with this, Lloyd, because it's too emotional for me. And he never really made any efforts whatsoever to convince me that I was wrong. I, I think that kind of says a lot about where he is when we were, when we were talking about cognitive dissonance. Mm. But basically, we had um, a relationship of sorts right up to the point where I disassociated because with Jehovah's Witnesses, you can go inactive, you can stop believing and stop going to the meetings and stop doing the preaching work. Um, that's sort of allowed and you're kind of viewed as a lost sheep. So while I had this lost sheep status, my dad was still speaking to me every week or two weeks on Skype because I'd moved to Croatia. Um, but when I told him we're, we're disassociating, we're actually properly leaving. We're, we're, and the reason why we did that was because we were expecting a child. We didn't want our believing family to have any excuse whatsoever to try indoctrinating our child. So this was you and your wife? Yeah. And she was also a Jehovah's Witness? She um, basically woke up about a year after I did. And th that's a story in itself because... It places enormous strain on a relationship when one person wakes up and the other one is still believing. Sure, like when my girlfriend went vegetarian the year before me. Not quite, <laughs> not quite the same, but you know, yeah. it was a difficult um, year. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Vegetarians aren't yet uh, proclaiming that meat eaters need to die in a future apocalypse. You haven't met my girlfriends, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we so we we've been through this kind of journey my wife and I, and mm. when my wife also woke up, uh, we kind of made this decision, right, our child's coming. Um, we know that if we were to stay in, in any way, shape or form, our believing family would use any opportunity to try and indoctrinate our child. And interestingly, they've still tried, <laughs> even after we've disassociated, we've had moments where uh, Jessica has has said, oh, uh, Grandma was talking to me about Jehovah. Mm. Um, even though Grandma knows that she's not to speak to Jessica about Jehovah. So we've had to kind of have some uh, straightforward conversations with Grandma. And and Jessica, who's now six, she's had everything explained to her. And, and to her credit, she's showing enormous maturity in uh and I think un understands what's at stake. We we actually called her Jessica Liberty Evans. We wanted to put the word freedom in her name so that she never forgets that it was basically her birth that prompted our family to break free from the whole thing. And was that a relief? Were you able to still... I mean, it sounds like uh, you know she, uh, Jessica's still in, in touch with the gr grandmother. Uh, how was that at first? Were you exiled a bit, like in some religions? Do people tend to be really pushed out or is there still communication it's a little bit complicated with with diana's parents basically when we moved to croatia um it was moving to croatia by the way that kind of woke me up because i was no longer getting the constant flow of indoctrination mm. how old were you then i was 30 you know i was going to the meetings i just couldn't understand it and that gave me the breathing space i needed to wake up now because we're living in the same building as my wife's parents, that they use a loophole in the rules that say, 
if you're under the same roof as a disfellowshipped family member, you can still talk to them. That's not really how it's supposed to apply. That's more for like an, an, a 19, 20 year old who gets disfellowshipped. Um, so we still have a relationship with our, we, we live in the same building as Jehovah's Witnesses, oddly enough. <laughs> Um, wow. which is weird. <laughs> yeah. And they, they're horrified at what I'm doing. Um, but it's one of those things where it was really, really difficult to begin with. And there was lots of arguments and lots of tension, but I think the more time passes, the more you just get used to it, you know? So, Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. I can relate to some of that. I mean, again, it's a much more minor version, but I definitely recall uh, being 15 or so. And uh, my my mum and dad would go to synagogue maybe twice a year, three times a year for like the holy events, the big events. And it's more of a show your face thing. I don't think anyone believes anything. And they'd want me to go. And I think it was hard for them to know the difference between me being a teenager who doesn't want to go to school, doesn't want to go to this, doesn't want to go to that, 
and what it actually was, which was like, I don't believe any of this. And it's against, it, it makes me angry. I always remember a moment when I was young being in a synagogue and I was talking to a friend, just messing around and someone turned around and like shushed me and went, shh, the rabbi's speaking, show some respect, the rabbi's speaking. And my mind, I was, I was like 14, was like, respect for this, this guy. Why? He doesn't show me respect. I'm not showing him respect. He's talking nonsense, talking out of his mm. bottom. So I know that feeling. So what's the, so the Jehovah, one of the things that's most famous about Jehovah's Witnesses is the... I, th- I saw you wrote something about sort of sex and blood transfusions. This was uh, this was in a description for you, um, your book. I do a chapter on on the child sex abuse issue, and a chapter on uh, domestic violence and blood transfusions. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, take me through what's what's this what's the deal with the blood transfusions? In 1945, the leadership of the organisation, out of the blue, just decided that uh, because it said in the Bible not to eat blood they should also not be using it for medical applications. And uh, probably thinking at the time, well, this is a good way for us to show ourselves as different. This is a good way to ruffle a few feathers and and show how radical we are. Um, Not giving a thought to the fact that this policy decision would lead to the deaths of what I and others estimate to be tens of thousands of jehovah's witnesses since then they they changed the rules slightly in 2000 to say that you can have what they call fractions so when it comes to what they consider the the four main components of blood red blood cells white blood cells platelets and plasma all of those things are forbidden for jehovah's witnesses but when it comes to say hemoglobin which is what you get in a red blood cell that yeah. makes it red and which is actually the property that circulates the oxygen in blood. If you could somehow just have the hemoglobin, that would be fine, which is just total nonsense yeah. because as long as they can take someone's hemoglobin and put it in an artificial wrapper that will simulate what a red blood cell does and which, by the way, could never do as good a job as an, as an actual red blood cell, then that would be fine but not the the actual red blood cells. And witnesses are dying because of this. And there's, there's so much that angers me, um, not least the fact that one of the uh, ingredients that witnesses aren't allowed to have are, is white blood cells. When you have your breakfast in the morning and you have your cornflakes, you're having white blood cells because it's in the milk. You're, you're drinking cow's red blood, uh, white blood cells when a baby is born for the first week or so, they're getting inundated with their mother's white blood cells in the milk. But for some reason, in this particular application, it's okay for a witness to die for want of white blood cells in, in a medical application. They also have this thing called the Hospital Liaison Committee Arrangement. And I'm very um, proud of the National Secular Society, which I'm a member of. They recently got behind a campaign to raise awareness among NHS trusts because what's happening is you get these groups of elders, these gangs of elders called hospital liaison committees who will go in when a Jehovah's Witness is hospitalised with the possibility of a blood transfusion and they'll basically be there at the bedside taking on a role of um, recommending what medical treatment they should receive or trying to steer what's happening and manipulate what's happening in some way. Uh, If it's really the patient's decision, and I fully respect if an adult wants to refuse medical treatment for whatever reason, 
they should be allowed to do that, but let it be their decision rather than something where they've been manipulated by a bunch of goons when they are in an incredibly vulnerable situation you know so even if it is their own decision then it's it's still manipulation isn't it because they've been manipulated by those goons from afar and now the goons are yeah. up close and quite often when push comes to shove i mean you know any jehovah's witness can say oh i will refuse blood and i would have been the same um but what you hear is that when push comes to shove and you really are at death's door yeah it's quite interesting how that decision can sometimes change you know wow. Um, and there's even uh, the, the National Secular Society uh, cited a, a medical study from Canada showing that even in a hospital that would have had HLC elders, there's examples of um, witness patients who were accepting um, the, some of the four, some of the four forbidden blood products. So, do they more than often not take the blood transfusions? Uh, usually, usually they will uh, not take the blood transfusions, yes, but at least some will, even when there's a HLC presence. So you can imagine if you removed these men in suits, yeah. you can imagine how that the number of people taking the blood and therefore living uh, <laughs> would would rise. You know, so th this is a policy that is literally killing people, and and so it's no exaggeration to say that when you're warning people about Jehovah's Witnesses, you're potentially saving people's lives. Yeah. I mean, they even had on their JW Broadcasting episodes, which I do rebuttals to last year, they did an episode where they showed the story of a, a young lad called Jared Scepter, who, who, if he'd been allowed to live, would now be my age. He died in, I think, 1990 or 1991, and they were celebrating his death on JW Broadcasting. And and saying, oh, well, um, if God allows a Jehovah's Witness to die, it's probably because he has some higher purpose. And isn't it wonderful that the parents were looked after and people brought them meals while all this was happening? And now they're a circuit overseer and circuit overseer's wife. In other words, you know, making a big deal of the fact that, oh, well, look at look at how the parents were blessed because they killed their child. Right. So that's the that's how shameless this all gets. It's control, isn't it? It's just crazy. Mm. Does it does it make you very angry? Do you find yourself doing this thing that I do sometimes when I'm angry? Do you, do you sort of uh, go on speeches in your head at night when you, and can't sleep about this? Uh, I, I guess I make YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because when you start doing activism, it is very much a cathartic thing. And, and you're, you're hopefully helping others. But for the most part, you're kind of doing it to help yourself. And and I think that there's almost like a two-year burn on most ex-Jehovah's ex Witness activists. They make a lot of noise for the first couple of years, and then they go quiet almost because they've got it off their chest. In the case of some, like myself, we're able to keep going because yeah. actually, you know, I'm quite used to doing this now, almost institutionalized. Uh, but yeah, it, it, there's definitely a fire in my belly. And, and what's ironic is that, um, my dad uh, still hasn't met both of my children, his grandchildren. Um, and he will be thinking that this is something that will somehow prompt me to realize the enormity of my error and come groveling back to the organization. All it does is stoke that fire in my belly. If, if I wasn't personally on like a daily basis yeah. uh, feeling 
the uh, punishment radiating from this organization. Um, I like to think that I'd still be doing my activism, but almost certainly I would have slightly less less fire in my belly to do what I do. Do you feel sorry for your dad at all? No, my feelings about my dad have sort of changed over the years. I think uh, more than anything, um, look, everyone's everyone's parents are going to be a bit different and i think in in the case of my mother she was very very much in touch with her humanity and i like to think that even if it would have been a difficult decision for her i find it impossible to think that she would have gone this long without meeting her grandchildren um certainly on my wife's side both of her parents have good relationships with our children and indeed with us, even though there is this ideological difference. I just think as a father myself, there's just no excuse for not having anything to do with your child just for ideological reasons. So Mm. it's more a case of um, not relating whatsoever to his decision. And yeah, uh, the more years tick by, the the more the emotion dims a little bit. So I feel less emotional attachment to him now. What would happen if you called him up? Um, I have had to call him up once or twice because there's been, obviously I live in a different country and um, I think once I had to call him about my healthcare situation because it was my healthcare and it was a, a genuine emergency, it was just a normal conversation for all of what one or two minutes while I was desperately trying to spit out everything that I needed him to do. Um, And he responded. He he did everything that I needed him to do because there's this rule that says you're allowed necessary contact. So if there was a death, he would probably call me or email me. Uh, If it's something that's necessary, we're going to have a conversation. Um, But if I called him to try and reason with him, not that I would, um but if i were to he would he would hang up undoubtedly yeah hmm. that's quite sad that's part of the you know what, what one would expect from when you leave a religion like that tell me a bit mm. about the sort of domestic abuse and stuff is that surely that's not part of the the scripture and teachings so with domestic violence the issue is that um jehovah's witness spouses are taught that there is no grounds for divorce apart from adultery, Mm. including physical violence. So if you have a physically violent husband or wife, you have to stay married to them. The only option conceivably is separation, but then you are basically never allowed to get into a relationship with anyone else for the rest of your life. So this obviously leads to lots of abused men and women staying in violent relationships. And you even have um, Watchtower articles. What amazes me is that Jehovah's Witnesses are are a registered charity in England and Wales. And they're allowed to literally print magazine articles that say, "You, you need to stay married. You need to stay in this relationship, even though they're a charity. It's not right. Um, Yeah. And I, I've I've interviewed people who've who've been in these situations and who've who've been um, in in fear of their lives 
but they've genuinely felt because of their religious beliefs that they can't move on and they, they can't escape that relationship because if they were to escape, they'd be unhappy for the rest of their lives because they wouldn't be able to get married to anyone else. You are trying to help some people sort of to leave, to excommunicate, is that right? Only if they want to. I mean, yeah. my, my, my position is that if, if someone genuinely believes that it's the truth, yeah. which is what Jehovah's Witnesses call it, the truth, right. I'm, I'm not going to lose a wink of sleep. Um, but I like to think that if someone gets to a point in their lives where for whatever reason, they're able to look behind the curtain, they're able to start objectively scrutinizing their beliefs, which witnesses are not encouraged to do, they're told to, if they have any doubts, wait on Jehovah. Um, but the way I put it is it's a win-win scenario if you do scrutinize your beliefs, because either you're going to go on a channel like mine and listen to what I've got to say and be able to prove that I'm lying, in which case your faith is going to be end up being stronger than ever. Or you're going to come on my channel, realize that I'm telling the truth, and you're going to be able to do something about it. So it's a win-win situation. So I'm I'm just purely there to make resources available for people who are at that point in their lives yeah. where they can start thinking about breaking free. Are you often able to convince people of these kinds of things? Judging by the comments, comments and emails, I'm guessing it would seem so. Really, I'd yeah. I'd love to have a number I could give you. I'd love <laughs> to be able to say yes, it's you know however many hundred or thousand people. But um, yeah, it's very very touching when you get emails, voicemails, um, messages on social media saying, um, you know, you helped me. Your videos helped me to break free. Mm -hmm. And what I especially love is when I hear from people who say, uh, not just me, not just my husband, but our children as well. Because I love the idea of of the next generation breaking free sure. so that it's not even on their radar. They don't even, they get to grow up without this even being a thing. I mean, this will follow me now for the rest of my life. And I, I suspect for many who who are believing it well into their 30s or 40s, but you yeah. were, like you were, you were explaining before about your memories of going to the synagogue, how cool is it when you manage to stop a situation where the children are going to the kingdom hall or to the assemblies or the conventions so that they never even think of being of Jehovah's Witness being a thing in their lives? You know, that's that's really sweet. That's amazing that. Yeah, it, it would be nice for me as well, I suppose, to bring my... God, my parents be listening to this and they won't like it. <laughs> well, maybe they won't mind, actually. I don't want to, you know, but uh, bring up my children when I... When or if I have children uh, without mm. any of that. I can decide mm. if they want to get circumcised based on the science and research rather than some religious person coming around and fiddling with my child's genitals. Um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> There's the whole circumcision thing, isn't there? Yeah, yeah that's the whole thing. But, you know, it's, it, it, is, it, is, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Mm. Did you have to go, um, I was just thinking, did you go sort of knocking on doors and stuff as a child? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I, um, I did all that. And I started from the age of 19 pioneering pioneering is where you commit to spending 70 hours per month doing that so i did hours. that for yeah i did that for nine years and i'm pleased to report that for many of those years i failed woefully at managing the 70 hours <laughs> um at the time i felt tremendous guilt if i didn't get my hours in for a certain month mm. um but now i'm obviously delighted that i uh 
although I still don't appreciate feeling guilty at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that's they do take it very very seriously. And obviously, at the moment with with the pandemic, they're all being told to stay at home, and basically they're all badgering everyone they know on Facebook who's not a witness. So. If if you're a GP and you've got clients who are Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll be messaging you and sending you letters and all sorts. But um, under normal circumstances, yes, you, you the, the the bare minimum that you're expected to do is well, the absolute bare minimum is at least one hour per month. Most witnesses will aim to do maybe ten hours of preaching per month, okay. and if you're pioneering, you'll be trying to do seventy hours per month. Do you think, in the history of Jehovah's Witnesses, that's ever worked to bring people around? At least in the last fifty years or so, knocking on people's doors. I mean, did you get doors slammed in your face? Uh, oh, all the time. Uh, but we also had doors open to us, and I can remember going in and people making you cups of tea and coffee and having long conversations. Um, I'm in the past. It's definitely worked because here we are, an organisation that has nearly nine million members around the world. Um, but most of that growth happened in the fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, maybe into the nineties a little bit. But especially in the internet age, it's just become stagnant. If you look at the figures, uh, the figures are at the moment, I think, 1.3% growth annually, which basically just means they're indoctrinating their children. I mean, that's just literally witness parents giving birth to new witnesses. Yeah. Uh, they're not bringing people in in any significant numbers. And I think that the internet is largely responsible for that. And I can remember as a pioneer having long conversations with people and even starting what we would call Bible studies, which is not really studying the Bible. It's just studying a book yeah. and making people answer exactly as it says in the book. Um, so we would start these studies and all of a sudden, completely out of the blue, the person would say, actually, Lloyd, uh, I'm not interested. And actually, do you mind not calling again? And I'd be like, what, 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 what's going on? And now, of course, I'm on the other side and I know exactly what happened there. They almost certainly went on Google. And that's <laughs> all That's all you need to do. Type into Google, Jehovah's Witnesses. Maybe the first few search results will be jw.org. Right. But once you scroll past those, that's when you start getting to, ah, I definitely, definitely don't want to be involved in this. And when you think about it, that makes total sense because... If someone comes to your door offering you this amazing insurance policy that sounds too good to be true, what's the first thing you do? You Google that company's name and see whether it's a scam. And if it turns out to be a scam, you're going to want nothing to do with it. And I think that's what's happening mostly with Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, although it's not been made any easier to get maybe the truth out there by YouTube policies. I've heard you, I've seen you tweet a fair bit about it. What's going on there? They're, they seem to be flagging your stuff why is that youtube um i don't think they necessarily have anything against me or necessarily against um apostates or critics of fundamentalist groups i think they feel as though if they are going to make money if they are going to attract sponsors they need to keep the content as bland and uh, uncontroversial as possible. So what, what YouTube absolutely hates is controversy. Okay. And, uh, and anything that I do or say 
about Jehovah's Witnesses, especially when we're, we're going into um, reports on child sex abuse cases, especially when we're going into people dying through refusing blood, all of that falls on, under controversy. And so that makes it very, very difficult for content creators who are genuinely trying to perform a service by raising awareness to all of this to make ends meet. Basically, if you want to do it, it either has to be out of the goodness of your heart um, or you need to be doing it on a professional basis. And I'm very fortunate to have been doing this for a number of years now. Obviously, I'm, I'm doing it for the most part because it, I care deeply about this. Yeah. But I don't owe the world anything. You know, I don't owe a full-time job to exposing this. So it would be nice if YouTube could could pay creators or at least make it possible for creators who are raising awareness to import to important issues for them to get the same kind of attention through the algorithms that people are getting for makeup tutorials and cat videos and unboxing videos and all that sort of thing but youtube prefers that sort of mindless content because it's not going to offend anyone and it's not going to be controversial and it restricts advertising revenue and stuff that goes towards it so i've had one one video on for example my very first ever youtube documentary is called jehovah's witnesses and child abuse is there a problem Mm. um you can if you literally type in the title of the video it won't show in the search results so they're blocking it from appearing in the search results my most popular video on which has had i think 1.3 million views is everything you need to know about Jehovah's Witnesses in five minutes, that's on limited ads. And if you watch the video, it's literally like you're on Wikipedia. It could not be more uncontroversial, what I'm saying, but they've they've limited the advertising revenue. And, and that used to be, I used to get quite a lot of money through because it because it's so sure. got so many views. Now I get virtually nothing through from it, even though it's my most watched video. So it it's very, very frustrating. But fortunately, I've got literally hundreds of patrons now mm. who see what I'm doing, see value in what I'm doing, and and will support me on a monthly basis, even if it's just a dollar a month. It all makes a difference. Yeah. So Patreon sort of the antidote to the sort of banality of uh, of YouTube. Absolutely. If, if there's a creator doing something that, yeah. that you like and that you believe in, and especially if YouTube is making it hard for them, get behind them on Patreon, definitely. Mm. Shall I get on there? I should get on that. Oh, you, if you're not, you're not on Patreon. No, because we don't get that many. I mean, this gets you know. Oh, I don't want to publicly say how many views it listens. No, to. no. But. <laughs> but everyone needs to start somewhere. So get it, get it set up. Uh, I'll be a patron. <laughs> Thank you. There you yeah. go. You've got one patron already. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be great. No, I, I don't know. I'm looking at adverts and stuff. You know what? It's stupid of me, but it, and I probably will get on it when mm. I've got enough followers as well. But it feels like. Mm. Maybe it's sort of asking people. I, it could be, I suppose you could be one of these who kind of sticks it in people's faces. I don't like to do that. Yeah. So at the end of all of my videos, there's like six seconds <laughs> where I say, you know, these videos are supported by mm. uh, Patreon and here is here are a few of my patrons. And that's like six seconds. Right. Apart from that, if you're not pushing it in people's face and it's literally something that people voluntarily go to because they believe in what you're doing yeah. there's nothing to feel bad about is there no you're right you're right i am going to get on it but again it's yeah it's not i don't have seventy thousand 
subscribers. Everyone's got to start somewhere. <laughs> I know it's doing well though. Is there is is there anything I've not not asked that I should have that I should ask? We've not really covered child sex abuse, but that maybe that's not advertiser friendly. No, that's fine. I you know what? I just I worried that when I said it, it might have been that maybe you didn't mm. want to talk about it. No, no, no. Yeah, tell me a little bit about yeah the, the child sex abuse. Oh, Jehovah's Witnesses have a policy called the two witness rule, which means that if um, a sin, any kind of sin, hasn't got more than one witness, then it must be treated as though it effectively didn't happen. No way. And they apply that all. They also apply that to uh, the crime of child sexual abuse. Oh. And so this has long been a problem. I mean, as you can imagine, when children get molested, there's rarely an audience there. Uh, there's yeah. rarely even even another person there. Yeah. Um, and so what that has caused is, first of all, it's caused elders to not take it seriously when it's happened. But statistically, when you when you look at how much abuse is getting reported to the authorities, um, you can see very clearly that this idea of child abuse as a sin rather than a crime is influencing the flow of information to the authorities. So that in Australia, when they investigated this for the Australian Royal Commission, they managed to get the data from the Australian branch and out of 1,006 uh, accused pedophiles in Australia going all the way back to 1950, not a single one had been reported to the authorities. So what you have is information on criminals being systematically kept by the organisation but not being passed on to the authorities. Wow. They are literally keeping a secret database of offenders. In the UK, I'm involved as a core participant with ICSA, which is the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. And I am pulling my hair out because ICSA has the power to do exactly what they did in Australia and literally grab the records and say, we want to see how bad this is. But they refuse to do it. Right. Uh, for reasons only they know. So they've taken this tiny, tiny sample, which is bad enough, by the way, of I think 67 uh, reported or, or cases that were passed on to the branch. Mm. And out of those 67, all involving elders and ministerial servants or where the abuse happened in a kingdom hall. So a really, really small sample size. Um, 30 weren't reported to the authorities and as far as we know are still at large um, and that's just a tiny tiny sample size if they went after the whole all the records I estimate based on the Australian data that it would run into the thousands but for some reason ICSA doesn't want to do it can't be bothered doesn't have the resources and they come up with all sorts of strange excuses so at the moment we're running a get the data uh, petition uh, to try and persuade them. I don't know whether it will work or not, but at least we can say we've done our part and we've we've tried to do the right thing when the opportunity came. That is insane. So so is it you said it's not a crime if if not more than one person has seen it. Is it a sin still? Right. So it's important to distinguish between sin and crime. Mm. Jehovah's Witnesses say that child sex child sex abuse is both. So it's both a crime and a sin. Uh, but they can only process it as a sin if it's seen by another person. Whether it's a crime or not may be independent of the whole judicial thing. Mm. But of course, if you're an elder and you're not taking it seriously as a sin, why would you be taking it seriously as a crime? Yeah. 
and going and reporting it to the police. What Jehovah's Witnesses say, and this is a fairly new thing, they say, well, we we remind victims and their parents that it's their absolute right to go to the authorities, meaning we're not going to go to the authorities ourselves. We're just going to remind the victim and the parents that it's their right. Yeah. But you need to remember that this is a religion where they are very, very suspicious of Satan's system of things, which, as we've discussed, is going to be destroyed at Armageddon any moment. And witnesses are repeatedly told, just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean you should necessarily do that thing. So it may be your right in the context of child sex abuse to go to the police, but is that really the right thing to do? You know, might you not be bringing Jehovah's name into reproach by doing that? So, Oh, my God. That's awful. Did you have any personal experience with um, that kind of thing when you were younger? Thankfully, no. But I think that that's mostly because, well, because it's covered up so well. <laughs> I mean, the whole po- the whole point of this issue is that when child sex abuse is being covered up by um, by an organisation with actual documents that is setting forth this this whole strategy for covering up uh, this material how would you know about it i mean i was a ministerial servant for a number of years but ministerial servants don't have access to that sort of information i was an elder for one year before moving to croatia and in that one year i wasn't made aware of any cases if i'd been an elder for longer Probably, almost certainly, I would have come across something. But no, I don't have any personal experience, fortunately. Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses are not coming out of this looking very good. Well, you say that, but there's a problem. And and this is why the work that you're doing is important, because the media mostly ignores all this. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you get the occasional, you might get the occasional article in The Guardian. There was one recently in The Times, just a few column inches. Um, I can't understand how in the 21st century you can have a registered charity in the UK that literally has in black and white in its documents, yes, we keep secret child abuse records that could potentially number into the thousands. I don't know, number one, how they're a charity, and number two, why the police aren't banging down the door to get that data so that they can um, find out what pedophiles are being concealed and what ped- what pedophiles are still at large in the community. You would think that that would be a national scandal. Yeah. But for some reason, because it's a religion, oh, do, do we really want to be seen to be attacking a minority religion? That seems to be the fear of the media. And that's why mostly you're not going to see this on Sky News or on the, te- the BBC 10 o'clock news. You're just not going to see it because no one wants to be the big bad bully that's going after the minority religion. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's not alone in that Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not It's not alone in the, the sort of child's abuse scandals and stuff, is it? I mean, it's quite a common religious trope, isn't it? And that's one thing that's painfully obvious at the, at the ICSA inquiry. I mean, we've recently had a report into the culpability of the Catholic Church. Mm. Um, unfortunately, whenever you have these large religious institutions, almost inevitably they are going to look after their own interests before looking after the interests of child sex abuse victims. That's sort of a given. 
Having said that, you do have different scales of culpability when you look at different religions. So, for example, Ixa ran a truth project where they asked for uh, stories of abuse from uh, throughout England and Wales. Top of the list was the Catholic Church and the Church of England. Third in the list, third in the list, despite being a tiny religion, yeah. were Jehovah's Witnesses. So... Clearly, there's a problem there, which, again, you would think would prompt them to say, OK, give us all your data. We're going to go through it and we're going to find exa out exactly how bad this is. Again, for some reason, Ixa doesn't want to do that. What a pleasure it was to talk to Lloyd Evans. I won't forget that story about his father and the fake phone call and Macclesfield Forest in a hurry. More than anything, I'm just delighted that he and his wife and child were able to escape and I hope to keep in touch with Lloyd, maybe see if he wants to grab a drink if I'm ever in Croatia. Remember to take a look at his much-admired book, The Reluctant Apostate, and to head over to John Cedars. Uh, you can spell John easily, but Cedars is C-E-D-A-R-S on YouTube for his insanely popular channel. If you're listening to the audio version of this, make sure to check out the video version of the podcast, which I'll upload on Wednesday. After that, future video versions of the podcast will be behind a paywall for a month on my Patreon channel, patreon.com slash andrewgold. I'm hoping many of you will contribute, and I'll also be giving back. On Patreon, there's a tier system with various benefits. For example, for about 60p or 80 cents per episode, you can become an assistant producer of the show and get the ad-free version. For a little over a pound or a dollar fifty, you'll be a fully-fledged producer and I'll follow you on social media and give you a shout-out on the podcast. Other membership tiers include being a director who gets creative input and can ask the guests questions, a producer-director who gets all of the above plus extra video teasers, and an executive producer who gets all of that and access to my new flashy HD videos of the podcast, full video podcasts. The showrunner category is the most exclusive and allows you to take part in a monthly video meeting about behind-the-scenes stuff, guests, and anything else with me and the few other exclusive showrunners. So that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Andrew Gold. Uh, if you can't afford it, I totally understand, and I'd rather you put food on the table than contribute to this what you can do to help though is follow me on instagram or twitter on andrew gold underscore okay or if you have apple subscribe and review the podcast i've had 92 ratings so far including one this week from rebecca willow who said i'm addicted to this podcast series every chance i have i'm listening global guests with really important opinions and experiences insightful and exciting all at the same time thanks rebecca willow I loved reading that, and I hope you're listening right now. Next week, to continue the theme, I've got ex-Mormon Dan from the Thank God I'm an Atheist podcast. It's immensely popular, and I've already appeared on it as a guest, and it's going to be really great to grill him about all things Mormon. Also, I just want to give a little, or rather a big, shout-out to those who have supported me so far on Patreon. It's only been up a few days, but thank you so, so much, uh, Jess Schultz who was worried I wouldn't say her name correctly, but I think I've got the German okay there. Schultz. Jess Schultz. Um, yes, my brother, Michael Gold, who's got a fantastic surname. Uh, Kane Alexander. And of course, today's guest, Lloyd Evans. Thank you to all of you.
I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.